on, everyone? You're listening to the newest episode of Rangers Rumblings Podcast. I am your host and the only member of this podcast, Hayden Smith. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for uh, listening to some quick discussion and to, to be my muse, uh, if you will, on this uh, on these Texas Rangers. Um, it's been 29 days since I last recorded a podcast, which certainly was not my intention uh, when I started podcasting. Um, there's been a couple of reasons why I haven't been able to find the time to do any kind of uh, recording or podcasting. And I think the number one reason actually is baseball itself. Uh, instead of 7 o'clock at night to 10 o'clock being kind of a free time, we've, or at least I'm going to speak for myself, uh, it's kind of like an appointment uh, every night uh, with the Rangers. So um, it's been some good baseball this year. Um, we're, you know, over a month into the season and uh, lots of lots of interesting things going on, lots of things that uh, none of us predicted going on. So uh, that would be, I think, the number one thing would be the bullpen and the starting rotation kind of uh, flipping the script on each other. Uh, the bullpen ended, uh, ending up kind of uh, not being so good to start the season. And uh, the starting rotation, while uh, people weren't saying that it would be terrible, um, it certainly has uh, exceeded expectations. And part of that is due to A.J. Griffin. And uh, A.J. Griffin, who I'm sure that you have come to know by now, um, he's actually a guy that I was kind of excited to see a sign out of spring training. Um, I don't know if I've talked about him at length before on this podcast, but uh, he's a guy who, I don't know, it just he felt like it was a good signing. Um, it seems like John Daniels always brings in kind of these guys with a, a history of success into spring training and uh, seeing if they can you know, catch, it, catch, catch that magic again. And usually it's older players. Um, for example, this year uh, we brought in Jeremy Guthrie to compete for a rotation spot. Um, in the past, we've brought in Chris Benson and uh, AJ Webb, and uh, no Brandon Webb. Who's AJ Webb? I don't know. Brandon Webb. Uh, and a lot of times those guys don't end up making the team. Uh, Tommy Hansen was another one. Um, but I so I was kind of skeptical uh, that AJ Griffin would walk in the path of those before him. Just uh, you know, former major league starting pitchers who are in camp on a minor league deal, um, but he's performed really, really well, um, which doesn't surprise me a whole lot. Um, he was a guy with the A's that was really good um, and pretty young too, and so he still is young. He's only two years away or two years removed from uh, being a, a very quality major league pitcher. So, uh, and and the way that he talks about himself, uh, the interviews that I heard and read about him in spring training, he seems very confident. Um, steadfast and focused on uh, getting hitters out, uh, believing in himself. And uh, I think he said, you know, he's talking about in spring training that he's got he's to believe in himself because nobody else will for him uh, in terms of making the team. Maybe it was a long shot. Uh, maybe we're looking at Nick Martinez or Chichi Gonzalez making the team out of spring training. But uh, uh, that determination from A.J. Griffin uh, has paid off. Um, unfortunately, he has uh, been sent to the DL with uh, some shoulder stiffness, um, and I'm thinking that there is probably some a pretty sizable uh, amount of silver lining to this news, um, because since it's been 2013, since he was um, a active member of a major league rotation, um, his arm is kind of out of shape, and that's not saying that he, um, I don't know, uh, has mismanaged his arm or anything like that. It's just 
he's not used to the workload of a full major league season getting 30 30 plus starts um and pitching 180 200 innings or something like that so um obviously you would hope that uh the the muscle or the shoulder soreness is nothing serious um all accounts from the organization is that they're pretty optimistic that it's that uh they're just being extremely cautious and it doesn't seem like they're going to have to shut him down for an extended period of time but the fact that he does get a chance to um, maybe um, sit back and uh, take a couple weeks off, uh, miss you know a handful of starts, um, and maybe that allows him to be able to pitch uh, longer into this season um, instead of him kind of wearing out or even being shut down in September. You know, maybe he's able to keep going because he's been able to kind of recharge his batteries a little bit at this point in the season. So I think that there is some good news to this. Uh, or I don't know, not good news, but there's there's a benefit um, to to him kind of being put on the disabled list here. Um, and I guess I'll just talk a little bit about the six-man rotation and give, give some of my thoughts. Um, I think that a lot of people have kind of the jaded belief that, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about a six-man or a six-man rotation or having too many good players or anything like that because uh, injuries will uh, always kind of humble you and, uh, make sure make the make your decisions for you if if you will. So um, if things stay the way that they are, when you Darvish comes back, hopefully uh, May twentieth ish, maybe May twenty fifth. Um, you know this AJ Griffin injury will have made our decision for us. We don't have to think about oh should we go with a six man rotation or who gets sent down or who gets sent to the bullpen uh, to keep it at five. Injuries kind of take care of those decisions for you. So. Uh, I don't really think that the six-man rotation is a, a realistic solution or future for this team, but I do like it in theory because you got to look at who the members of our rotation are. You have you Darvish, who um, is used to being in a six-man rotation from his days pitching in Japan, in Japan and he's also f- coming fresh off of Tommy John surgery, so you have him there. You have Derek Holland, who has missed the greater parts of the last two seasons, you have Martin Perez, who is uh, not yet. Oh, he's probably getting close to being two years removed from Tommy John surgery. Still working his way back uh, to being fully effective. Um, you have Colby Lewis, who is half metal, half man. Um, and then you have Cole Hamels, who things seem to go be. You know, he's he's a reliable guy in terms of the health department. So. Um, you would have five of the starting pitch, and then obviously A.J. Griffin has his own troubles, which we've already uh, discussed. So you have five of six starting pitchers um, who have a history of recent injury um, who, I don't know, maybe need to be taken, uh, handled gently, if you will. So I think that uh, there's kind of two common, or two kind of main arguments for or against the six-man rotation. You'd have... Um, against the rotation you'd say well if you're if you're going with a six-man rotation that means that you're giving an, an extra start to uh colby lewis or Derek holland or aj griffin or somebody like that and taking a start away from cole hamels or you darvish and you know you do after you go through the rotation a couple times you know we're talking about uh you know six seven eight nine ten games that could have been started by uh one of the best pitchers in the league Instead, you gave that start to, you know, kind of a middle rotation guy. So that would obviously, uh, I don't know, make your team less competitive. However, the the main argument in favor of the six-man rotation is going to say, 
yeah, you do kind of have to spread out uh, your starts and your success, and you Darvish is only going to pitch once a week, and same thing with Cole Hamels and everybody else, but I think that it would help to massage the workload, uh, lighten the workload, spread it around, so that when September and October come around, you know, you have your guys who are still um, at the top of their game rather than uh, having to peter out, because, I mean, who's expecting Derek Holland to pitch 200 innings this year? Who's expecting Martin Perez to pitch 200 innings this year? Um, these are guys that need to be, I don't know, handled handled well. And so I think that if you're talking about 170 innings or 160 innings for each of those guys and spreading it out, as long as everybody is maintaining their effectiveness, A.J. Griffin is still striking guys out, Colby Lewis is keeping the ball in the yard, uh, everybody is pitching well, then I think that that makes the most sense as to what we should do. But... Like I prefaced this all with, I think that injuries have a way of working this out for you, unfortunately, uh, but also kind of fortunately because then uh, when decisions are, decisions are made for you, you don't really have to second-guess them. Now, there is a big decision that the Rangers have coming up uh, with Sinshu Chu coming off the disabled list. Um, I guess his injury made the decision for the Rangers in terms of bringing up Nomar Mazzara, um, but his uh, activation from the disabled list uh, it does not seem to be a clear answer as to which way the club is headed. Um, well, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. Um, it looks like uh, with the acquisition of Drew Stubbs to play center field and to be a uh, late-inning runner, uh, it looks like the writing's on the wall for Delano DeShields as far as uh, his immediate future with the big league club is going. Um now, look, you're not going to find a bigger Delano DeShields fan out there um, than me. I love his game. I love how he kind of bucks the sabermetric trend and the fact that he batted, I don't know, what, like 240 last season. Um, he doesn't play great defense. Um, he only he stole uh, way fewer bases than you would expect a guy with his speed to steal. And yet, when he was in the lineup, the Rangers scored like two more runs a game than when he was not in the lineup. So, um I, I like the way that he plays. I like the. I, I, I don't want to be mocked for, you know, like, oh, he plays the game the right way or he's aggressive or whatever. But, I mean, it's true. When you're watching Delano DeShields, when you were watching him down the stretch last season, I mean, you were excited to see him in the batter's box. You were excited to see him running. Uh, he, it seemed like he scored in the first inning, gosh, at, at least like every other game uh, when the games really started to get down to crunch time last year. So he was a really important uh, member of the team last season, and he what he brought to the table was extremely valuable. Um, so all that being said, I'm a huge Delano Shields fan, but he absolutely is lost right now, and he needs to go back to AAA. Um, you can see it in the stats, and you can see it on the screen. Um, he is striking out way higher than he normally does. Um, let's see, I have some stats here. Uh, these stats were taken before yesterday's game against the White Sox. Um, so when I don't really remember how he did yesterday as far as uh, hits and walks and whatever else. But uh, before yesterday's game, he had 99 at-bats in the previous 30 days, and he had 29 strikeouts compared to 22 hits. So he's striking out more often than he's getting hits, um, and he's only gotten on base at a 304 clip. with, And a guy with his kind of power or lack of power, um, he needs to be a guy that's getting on base way more than 30% of the time. Um, and then in the last 15 days, it's just gotten even. The decline has become even steeper. Um, in 52 at-bats, he has the same number of 
uh, strikeouts as walks and hits, which or yeah, walks and hits, which is 12. So he's getting on base at the same percentage as he's striking out, um, and he hasn't had some great base running moments. He has directly cost the team two runs um, by trying to tag up on a ball or advance on a ball while a guy was about to cross home plate. And his defense, I mean, it seems like he's getting right late reads on the ball. Um, it's just and his arm is not very strong to, to, I don't know, make up for any kind of deficiencies with route efficiency. And uh, he, I think that he needs to just uh, go down to AAA and clear his head some because I think that he's uh, – it's weird because I think that when you're talking about a player who's struggling normally, like let's say Adrian Beltre – um, has two hits in a week and made four errors, and you just you just you go, you know. I think maybe he's in his head a little bit. I think he's he's thinking too hard. He's not letting the game come to him. Um, but that's purely speculation. But when I'm watching Delano DeShields, what I see is somebody who is absolutely thinking too hard, trying too hard. He's not playing within his game. Um, he is disappointed and upset at himself every time he strikes out. Um, you can just see it on his face. Like every time he strikes out, he he kind of has that look of like, ah, not again. I thought I was gonna turn it around right there. Um, it just he's he's pressing, and uh, I'm a huge Delano fan. I want him to figure it out. I think that he's gonna be an important player for this team if we're gonna make the playoffs. Uh, so I think it's best for us and best for the team, uh, or best for us as in the team and best for him as the player. Um, to just refine things, uh, take the pressure off of him extremely. I Jeff Bannister gave him a couple days off and has been batting him ninth instead of leadoff, I think, in an effort to take the pressure off of him, and he hasn't responded well. Um, so I think that if he goes down to AAA, he will respond kind of like Ruggie did last year um, and play really well, Be be uh, get on base, create chaos, steal bases, um, put the ball on the ground and beat out base hits, you know, annoy the pitcher, all that stuff that makes him a really valuable asset. Um, I think that that'll kind of start coming back to him naturally. He's very young. I think he's 22. And he might be 23. Um, so the the future's bright for him. I just think that he honestly just needs a break from being in the major leagues. And to segue into another guy who I think needs a break from major leagues, um, unfortunately... You all know who I'm about to say is Prince Fielder. Um, if you follow me on Twitter, then at BUH Money, then you probably have seen some of my uh, Prince Fielder opinions. Um, I I think that he might be my least favorite Ranger ever. Um, well, Lance Berkman was, was pretty awful, but uh, at least Prince is trying hard, I guess. Um, but the fact that he keeps on batting third or fourth, that he's not... I mean, he's driving in runs, which apparently is justification for um, Bannister to continue to bat him in cleanup, uh, even though that's largely because Adrian Beltre, Rugnet Odor, and Nomar Mazzara are doing a great job of getting on base um, and getting themselves in the scoring position. Um, ah, Prince. I, I really, I could give a whole episode of me roasting Prince, but that one, that's not my place because... I don't know. I'm just I'm just some scrawny little fan. Um, and two, that would just make me depressed if I looked at everything, um, all of the things that he's doing wrong. Um, 
I'll just share a little bit of facts and just kind of let that simmer around and in your headspace for a little bit. Uh, so again, these stats are from before yesterday's game. Uh, he is last in the Major League Baseball in wins above replacement with negative 1.1. And if you're curious as to what number is last place, that is 923. He is 923rd in wins above replacement in Major League Baseball this season. And despite that, he is only 14 at-bats away from leading the league in at-bats. So he's getting a lot of playing time to be really bad. Um, Gosh, he's just not doing anything really well. Um, I think that it's honestly it, his veteran status and the, the size of his paycheck is the only thing that's keeping him in the lineup because he's playing horribly. He looks horribly. He's not hitting the ball uh, hard, really. Um, I don't know. And I just I looked at his page for, for a little bit, and he hasn't been a two-and-a-half win player since 2012. And uh, a lot of people were high on him uh, last year because, hey, he won the comeback player of the year. And you know, new prints. He hits singles and bats over 300. Um, that's what a lot of kind of the national narrative was for him. But they apparently weren't watching any Rangers games in the second half when he absolutely tanked. Um, in his comeback player of the year uh, campaign last year, he only had 1.6 wins above replacement. So it's not like he should get the benefit of the doubt. I guess not being a two and a half win player since 2012, making uh, how much? 24 million dollars a year. 18 million of that is paid for by the Rangers, 6 million by the Tigers. We're we're not in a good spot as a franchise. Um his soft contact percentage is the highest it's ever been in his career and his hard hit percentage is the lowest it's ever been in his career. Um I'm anxious to see what happens with the lineup when Chu comes back because um it seems like Chu would have a spot um playing some DH in the future. Um, depends on what our outfield situation looks like and uh, how Ian Desmond uh, can play center field and all of that stuff and how it relates to other players. But I don't know. Maybe maybe Prince Fielder can get uh, Chu's wife to come and talk to him because, shoot, what was Prince batting last April? Or, or Chu was batting last April. I think it was uh, 091 for a whole month. Um, and he ended up turning it on. Uh, his stats from last September are absolutely obscene. Um, and he was huge for us, and um, so maybe Prince can turn it around, but I'm not very optimistic, but I'll also say that Ian Desmond looked terrible the first week of the season, and I didn't think he was going to turn it around. Um, That was foolish of me, but uh, we'll see what happens with Prince. It's going to be fascinating. Um, I just wish that it wasn't happening to my team and that we didn't have him signed uh, through 2020 at $18 million a year. And so let's uh, take a look at the current Rangers opponent right now is the Chicago White Sox. And I don't know, I just started looking up these stats in the history of the Rangers versus the White Sox uh, because I just had this feeling about, man, I just feel like we always lose when we go to Chicago. And it feels like ever since I started watching the Rangers, oh gosh, about, uh, what would that be, about 15 years ago, I guess, um, it seems like every time we go to Chicago, it's just I see the stadium, I know the camera angle, I can picture it in my head, and it just seems like those are those images are always equated with bad memories of losses. Um, so I just went to the to the history between the two teams, and I was kind of right. Um, 
interesting stats about the Rangers playing in Chicago is that we are 12 and 20 in the last 10 seasons against the White Sox on the road. Um, in, even more interesting is that that comes with four straight seasons of us being walked off on, and that continued this year. So we'll see if it continues next season. Uh, but four straight seasons where the Rangers have taken a walk-off loss in Chicago. So that certainly is depressing. But there is also a fascinating and inspiring tr uh, fast fact between the Chicago White Sox and the Texas Rangers. Um, in 2014, what Texas Rangers pitcher defeated Chris Sale? Answer is Nick Tepish. Nick Tepish beat Chris Sale in Chicago in 2014. I don't know which one is, is more fascinating, that stat or the fact that we've been walked off on in Chicago the last four seasons. Um, so let me know which what you think the answer to that question is. And uh, finally, as I was able to go to Detroit this last weekend uh, with my family, um, part of the reason for that trip was that my grandpa's always wanted to see the Henry Ford Museum and the old Model T's and Model A's and all that stuff over there. Um, if you want to know kind of how that trip went, then you can just ask me, and I'll tell you the details. But this is a baseball podcast, so I'm not going to talk about museums. Um, but I was able to go see the Rangers play in Detroit at Comerica Field for the first time ever. Um, it was a wonderful experience. They have an absolutely beautiful ballpark. Um, the weather was great. It got a little chilly at the end because, you know, we're so far up north. But uh, it was a beautiful ballpark, a great experience all around. Um the, the staff was incredibly nice um, and noticed the fact that I was a Rangers fan and that my family was Rangers fans um, and did the best that they could to, you know, kind of sell the experience and make sure that it was enjoyable for us. Um, really did enjoy our time. The park was beautiful as well, like I've already said, but I mean the outsides of it with the tiger statues everywhere um, and the kind of the artwork they have. Um, so if you're interested in that and seeing what that looks like, then you can go over to my Twitter account, at BUHMoney, and uh, check out the uh, some of the pictures that I posted. Uh, one of my favorite things is the the tiger heads that they have outside of the stadium. Kind of, They're out of stone. They look kind of like gargoyles or something like that. And in their mouths, they're uh, holding baseballs, and they light up at night. Um, I thought that was a really cool touch. Just kind of made you feel like you were in the tiger zone. Um, you know, there was a lot of energy from it being a downtown stadium. And uh, even though, you know, the Rangers aren't a rival of the Tigers or anything like that, it was a it was a very cool atmosphere. I did not think that I would enjoy it as much as I did. But Comerica is a great park to visit. Uh, tickets were kind of expensive. Uh, we sat um, in the upper deck and they were $32 each. So that wasn't very fun. Um, but, you know. I would say go there. Um, I also went to Safeco last year. I think that I liked Comerica more than Safeco. Um, I have a lot more ballparks on my list to visit, so then I'll be able to power rank those once I get uh, a few more under my belt. But Comerica was really great. Um, the fact that I was there to see a win was even better. And that's going to do it for me on this episode of Rangers Rumblings. Thank you for listening. Um, I promise that it will not be 29 days until my next podcast. Um, I and finding a lot more time, I think, coming up. I have some, some sports leagues that are ending uh, coming up, so I'll have more time here on the evenings to record this podcast. Um, if you heard my cat meowing in the background, I'm sorry. There's not much I can do about that. Um, and also, thank you for listening to my presumably annoying voice. Um, I'm not feeling so well. I've got uh, some sinus things going on right now, but 
I had this opportunity to record, so I was going to take it. And uh, please do share this with uh, the Rangers friends and uh, fans in your life. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BUHMoney. And uh, let's just get the conversation going about the Rangers. I live tweet most Ranger games. Um, if I'm not tweeting about it, then I'm probably not watching it. Uh, but even then, uh, I if I have some kind of obligation, I am checking in all the time and asking uh, questions about what's going on. So I'm very active there. Um, enjoy the Rangers fandom. Enjoy Rangers Twitter. Um, enjoy the podcasting scene. So one more time, thank you so much for listening. And go Rangers. Go Rangers.